Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Pistone, aka Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's Dirty Bird. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that's serious about birds, but nothing else. Each episode, I go into way too much detail about a certain bird species, with foul language included, and today, I'm joined by my good friend, TJ Ronoski. TJ, say hey. What's up, Dirty Bird listeners? TJ, introduce yourself. Uh... Well, my name is TJ, and uh, I am a graphic designer, illustrator, paint sometimes. Awesome artist. (laughs) Skateboarder. Skate sometimes, you know. Hiker when I I can be. Uh, Yeah, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and um, loving life. Excited to, to be on the podcast. Excited to be on the show. I'm a fan first, so... Thanks for coming on, Teej. Yep, Teej has listened to Dirty Bird Podcast since pretty much day one, and he's done some drawings for us before, like the uh, yellow-billed cuckoo from my cuckoo Kachoo episode. And uh, I finally got um, TJ on the show because, uh, because I love talking to him, and also because we're doing some big things with Dirty Bird Podcast. Um, TJ... Redesigned the logo. I'm sorry, Lauren. I love your logo, but uh, TJ did a pretty cool one. So you'll notice there's a new logo for Dirty Bird Podcast. Also, TJ designed um, some stuff for some t-shirts, some hats. We got merch. We got merch, baby. <laughs> so look out for that merch coming out. Um, <laughs> and uh, look out for more stuff from TJ. Uh, yeah. Um, also, you'll notice uh, the cover for this episode here was done by TJ, and it's the bird we're talking about today, the Northern Flicker. I love that name. Just flicker is a good word. Flicker. Yeah, yeah. flicker is a good word. Yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, idea why they call it that, Teach? I imagine because the the light or the, the gold, the yellow, that flashes at you when they fly. Although I did learn that the West Coast, they, they're red underneath. But yeah, I'm not getting into too much detail right now. No, you're totally good. That's the only throw, thing I keep, know. <laughs> is that West throw it out there? <laughs> we don't save the facts on here at all. Okay. Um, don't save the juice. Yeah, don't save the juice. Um, I, that's what I thought too. But apparently, it's like about their behavior, like especially when they're breeding, where they'll like flick their heads back. Oh no um, shit. So okay. yeah, and, and I guess they're like with their bills too. So it's like a whole group of birds that are called flickers. Um, and some birds that have like been called flickers in the past actually aren't in the same flicker family. It gets messy. We'll talk about it with the evolution. 
But anyway, wow, our it's northern about the head, not the the flash. It's the about the head. It's always about the head. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what that means. Uh, I'm just saying things. We're a bunch of child. we children up here. We are. We are. Oh, I almost started the show without talking about some awesome listener mail and voice memos I've gotten. Yeah, let's I, hear it. I totally almost forgot about that. Well, I wanted to read this. Um, Dolly, uh, who Dolly and Bib are probably like the top Dirty Bird podcast fans out there. Um, and Dolly sent me this poem and she said, love and dirty birds and tell him not to lose the dirty. Well, actually she sent this to my dad, not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love and dirty birds and tell him not to lose the dirty grin to hear him call bird shit, shit bird shits found the world around parked under the ash. My car is now trashed. So heck yeah. yeah. Dirty Dolly, you know? Dirty Dolly. Hey. Shout out to Dirty Dolly and what's Bib's name? Uh, uh, shoot. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Some other um, words that I probably shouldn't say. You may get offended, so let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just keep Dirty Dolly to ourselves. We'll just stay with Dirty Dolly, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, uh, I got a great voice memo from a guy, um, Jay Pogo, um, and I guess he recently checked out the show, but... Let me play this for you, Teach. Greetings and salutations. I just wanted to get real friendly. Hello, how you doing? And I love your fucking podcast. God damn it. Finally, somebody with some dirty language. I just got put onto it today. So I got a lot of catching up to do. Hopefully one day I can be privileged to hit up your spot and give some dirty comments here and there about birds. Good stuff, my man. Keep it up. Thank you for the content. Peace. I love that, dude. <laughs> Wasn't that awesome? That's awesome. Oh my! That... He's like some New England, like northern guy. That's just probably wow. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like he was in a city or something, and you know, this car's driving by. He's walking down the street and just <laughs> wanted to leave a little. Yeah, for sure. Jay Pogo, thank you so much for that. Um, keep it up. Uh, and yeah, we can totally make some dirty comments. What are the city birds like? All right, well, um, let's let's talk about this northern flicker. What do you think, Teach? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's go in. So I usually like to start with, you know, like the genus species name of these guys. Uh and so the genus for the northern flicker is Coloptes, and Coloptes contains a, a lot of like the flicker birds um, in North and South America. Um, so Coloptes, um, it's from the ancient Greek word, which means chiseler. So kind of self-obvious since this is like in the woodpecker family. Mm-hmm. Uh, its species name is Aratus, and that's a Latin word commonly used for naming species with yellow coloring. So like... For example, Carassius aratus, that's the goldfish. So, and aura just means like gold in Latin. Aura, like a, like the, the, the aura, it's kind of, sounds spiritual in a way, you know? Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's like kind of like aura, yeah. Um, and TJ, do you uh, remember back in high school? Oh, God. Uh, chemistry class? Barely. <laughs> 
All right, I'll test some chem knowledge on you right now. What's the um, periodic table of element symbol for gold? Oh, it's definitely not just like G-O. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I'm sure it's a random number like X-E or something. Well, I just gave you a hint. I said number. <laughs> I, just, I just gave you a hint that Allrat is gold in Latin. It's AU. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, that's why it's AU on the periodic table. All right, you high school a... listeners, you got a little trick to remember the uh, the gold. <laughs> high school listeners, make sure Dirty Bird Podcast is okay with your parents first before you listen. <laughs> Um, so that's the scientific name, Calaptes auratus. Um, Northern Flicker just sounds a little bit better. But this bird is also called uh, a lot of other stuff, too. So I have my handy-dandy 1933 National Geographic book here. And um, they talk about some local names in here. They say its local names are numerous. Wilkerson, the people of Cape Hatteras call it. I have heard it spoken of as the yucker bird, golden-winged woodpecker, high holder, and pigeon woodpecker. One very popular name is yellow hammer. I love the yellow hammer. That can get dirty real quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wilkerson is just out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know. But down in Cape Hatteras, they're, uh, they're a different breed down there. And I can only say that because I lived in the Outer Banks. But, uh, but yeah, um, those are some cool little local names for this bird. I'm going to just make a big old poster that just says Yellow Hammer. Yellow Hammer. Coming to theaters near you. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, so, uh, TJ, um, I'm going to go into describing this bird. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to definitely talk about your cover art that you did with that awesome northern flicker, a yellow-shafted northern flicker um, yellow flying. Shafted. Yeah. Is that how you like properly describe their underbelly color? Yeah, that's the like shaft. its subspecies. Yeah, the yellow shaft. Yeah, because bird um, stuff just lends itself to some some nastiness. <laughs> Dude, that's why I made Dirty Bird. <laughs> it really everything you read is like <laughs> just leans that way. <laughs> um, yeah, the shaft. You know, it's like the shaft of the feather. Right. So like, yeah. So that's what you see on it, and then of course there's the red shafted out west. But uh, in general, they're a pretty large woodpecker. Um, they're just slightly smaller than a crow. They have this plump body with a round head. And their bill is actually down-curved. It's not straight. Um, almost every other woodpecker has a straight, you know, chisel bill for hammering at the wood. Uh, why do you think, TJ, it might have a down-curved bill? I don't know. I see them in the backyard digging at the dirt a lot yes go after worms so i'm wondering yep. if the angle helps yep totally dude um you see down curved bills on a lot of ground feeding birds um wrens have like slightly down curved birds um some shore birds that you know um pluck stuff up from the sand to eat it they have down curved uh bills and stuff um so yeah it's part of its feeding strategy um it also has a white rump which is a uh, pretty much how I identify these birds. When I see like a crow sized bird flying like a woodpecker, woodpeckers like fly pretty stereotypically. They have like, it's called undulating. Like they kind of go up and down, up and down. And when I see that, and then I see a big old white butt, I know that it's a, uh, a Northern flicker. So that's an, an easy marker for it. They also have uh, 
the males have a mustache, um, and that's how you can identify them. Uh, and oh, like, yeah, but it has this little black mark underneath the eye. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, and it has that that yeah black mark too. So like the red shafted will kind of have a, a red one, and then the um, yellow shafted will have a um, a red one. Um, that's probably sounds confusing, <laughs> but these mustaches are really important for males to be able to recognize each other and know, you know, I need to fight that dude off. Um, oh, sorry. I messed up earlier. I said the yellow shafted was red. Actually, the yellow shafted has the black one and yeah. the red shafted has a red one. So that's easy to keep straight. Yep. It kind of looks like a raindrop actually. And it's shape. Yeah, it does. It's kind of, yeah, it's less a mustache and yeah, it's kind of a teardrop shape. Right. Um, and actually, I've read things that different individuals, it uh, differs. So, like, some of them have more straight ones. Some of them have, like, more circular ones. So you can use that to identify different individuals. So that's cool. Nice. Also, the yellow-shafted ones, uh, which are here on the East Coast, um, they have red on the back of the nape of their neck. Yeah, they have a little red red ring. It looks like it connects to the eye, like, almost, you know, how you get the sunglasses connectors or whatever they're called <laughs> yeah what are those croquis croquis yeah it's like they're croquis <laughs> they got some croquis <laughs> red um, the red the red shafted out west though they don't have croquis they don't need it i mean do you ever see people from california wearing croquis i don't no i guess it's not cool. no no it's totally like an east coast frat boy thing <laughs> amen uh, and like I said, I usually see them feeding on the ground. They'll sometimes be alongside other ground feeding birds like crows, robins, and starlings. You almost never see them perched on a trunk the way that other woodpeckers classically do. They usually just like perch in the branches. Um, but TJ, uh, I want to go in talking about your drawing because way better than me talking about what these guys look like. Uh, that drawing you did just like shows a northern uh, flicker in action. So let's talk about that. Like, first off, what um, kind of medium did you use to make this? Uh, I digitally painted this uh, using Tight. a couple different brushes. On Procreate, they have oil paint, turpentine, and wet, like acrylic. And those are the ones that I kind of use. And then you, you can blend with like a different tool. Um, so mm -hmm. usually when you're trying to start any type of painting or, or drawing, you kind of pick the, the larger shape. So when looking at the, the reference, you kind of start with the, the gray body and then the, this like pinkish reddish underbelly as you get to the mm -hmm. head and then the larger swoosh of the, the, the wing uh, on the, on the inside is this yellow. And then on the outside is this, larger swoosh gradual gradual black or gray to black um and i it i think it's just has such so much going on in it that you have to you really had to add the details or just kind of be patient add the details to the very end because it's very easy to get lost in all of the 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 zebra like or, or splatter of dots that are across the yeah. entire thing and in the reference that i chose too which i didn't realize is that inside the the black of the wings too there's this this gray splash or or like almost like um 
I don't know, like medical waves of some sort or, you know, gray met like, I don't, I'm looking at this reference. It doesn't really, I don't reflect it all that well. Like you mind. mean like the EKG wave? Yeah. Yeah. Like EKG spikes. wave. Yeah. Um, that's kind of in the deeper crevice of the feather. Yeah. Um, I see that. Yeah. And just to say a thing about TJ style, like it, he has a very, very unique style. It's like, it looks like when you first glance at it, it almost looks like simplistic. Like it, it sometimes reminds me of like doodles, you know, but then, but he like, especially with color, you do some really cool blending where like, it's something that you can just like stare at. And the more you look at it, the more you see. Hey man, that's what I'm trying to go for. Thanks. So tear up a little bit, <laughs> just like his mustache. <laughs> teardrop mustache yep um and uh you uh drew this bird in flight and it's really displaying the um yellow shafts on the bottom of its wings and on mm -hmm. its tail um and you drew your inspiration for, for this bird um from that guy in your backyard or girl i guess in your backyard right yeah well are you talking about the bird that the the birds that i see in the backyard yeah. Do you see a pair of them? Yeah, I, I see oh. more than one. There's there's like three or four that come by. Um, oh, almost awesome. like a, I think there's a couple, like not a couple as in two, but a relationship couple. Kale and I, my girlfriend, yeah. we joke that they're like in a relationship sometimes because they just show up in the morning. My office where I work, the window just opens up to the backyard. And so I often just gaze out there procrastinating and uh they're just poking around i haven't seen them since i got back from from georgia for christmas break which is kind of sad because they've been my favorite i just didn't know what it was because mm -hmm. i've been fairly new to identifying birds uh but as soon as i saw them fly and i saw the flash of yellow i was like what bird is that because you see a lot of pileated woodpeckers around and i was like that kind of looks like a woodpecker and then I did not know what this yellow undercoat was. Uh, and then that's why I actually sent that to you on Instagram. I sent you yep. like a video and you were the, you were the person to identify it for me. Um, yep. I saw that yellow. It was like a blurry picture, but I saw that yellow rump and I was like, uh, yeah. or white rump, I mean, yeah. I think it's so cool. It kind of adds this like sparkle to their, to their entire being, uh, yep. which I think is kind of poetic and painterly. Yeah, I'll tell you, there there have been a few instances where um, uh, I've you know seen one and it flies and like the sun hits it just right and it really is like kind of a like breathtaking. I mean, it sounds like so stupid, like you know it's just a bird, but I mean it, it's a really cool like thing to see and you feel very lucky. Right. Uh, so I totally understand that, man. Yeah, it's a special. It's way better than like a starling or something. That's just like a cow poop bird. You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. Fuck starlings. Yeah um so uh let's go into some more facts about these guys um so their range um they are pretty much like these northern flickers all over north america they're in canada all the entire united states um and then they extend down into the mountainous areas of mexico um, there are some isolated populations in the central highlands of southern Mexico. And also there's some isolated populations over on the Caribbean islands that just like stay there year round. You usually find them in uh, forests with relatively open canopies. What do you mean by open canopy? So open canopy means like, uh, 
it's not real like dense dark um mm-hmm. forest real close in like definitely not like a conifer forest you know where mm-hmm. it just is dark when you go in uh they like where the trees are kind of spaced apart um because i mean they feed on the ground so they like to to have some area there um yeah a, a study i saw in the chattahoochee um a sone national forest in georgia showed that um these open canopy forests that they prefer um, seem to develop best three to six years after prescribed high intensity burns um, and that's like the flicker's preferred habitat. Um, they also like left some areas not burned and then they burned some other areas with lower intensity. But this high intensity forest three to six years afterwards is like flickers love that. So obviously there's some relationship with them in forest fires. So the birds are kind of like could be like repairmen in a way. I don't know, imagine after a fire or something like they're kind of helping out or helping out. Yeah, I mean. They're, they're coming in because, yeah, the fire has, like, cleared out a lot of trees um, and a lot of underbrush. So they're able to get at the ground um, and get at uh, their favorite food, ants. And, um, and you know, it's very open for them to fly. Uh, you probably see them in your backyard a lot because, you know, there's – TJ's in Richmond, Virginia. And there's a lot of, like, old trees there, but they're pretty far – spaced far apart and uh you know some big lawns and stuff so they probably love that it just feels like a nice open forest to them yeah it makes sense my backyard is probably perfect i got like three three trees two maples and a juniper and that they're relatively spaced out and i kind of live in the sub suburbs area not suburbs but just outside the city and there's like houses that are pretty spaced out but there's enough trees around to kind of give them some some landing spots yep um and as far as their populations they're they're a pretty common bird you can find them almost anywhere in north america um, and they have an estimated population of nine million Uh, however they are declining i saw that in the past 50 years it's estimated that they've declined by as much as 49 percent um and that's probably due to like habitat destruction that hurts the soul if the flickers go in my lifetime i'll be really bummed yeah uh, I think we'll definitely see some other ones go first, like the red cockaded woodpecker, the red headed woodpecker. But, you know, flickers like all birds are on the list with, uh, you know, climate change and us chopping everything down. Uh, and these birds do migrate. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. So it's possible, um, TJ, that uh, your guy in Richmond, even though you're kind of in the zone where they would stay year round, it's possible that like it kind of got cold. So it decided to move to a, a different area um, where, you know, it could uh, get a little bit more food and maybe it stays a little bit warmer there. Yeah, it's getting colder. So I'm kind of bummed. I haven't I haven't seen them in a while. And they've been my favorite thing to, to pop up in the backyard. Besides the occasional pilia that hangs out on this maple outside my window. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're probably right that what you were seeing was a pair and possibly um, the other ones that were with them were some of their offspring that they were either like still helping take care of or like teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so if they've made it successfully, you know, around that area in the past, I'm, I'm sure they'll come back there. So I or even if they die, then their young will come back there, you know. So I, I have faith you'll see some flickers again. I hope so. I, I know so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so these guys, like I said, they love ants. Uh, their diet is 50% ants. And in summer, especially it is. In summertime, they're eating like 100% insects pretty much. Um, sometimes they eat like so many ants. One one time I saw a uh, dissection account. Um, they dissected a northern flicker and it had 5,000 ants in its stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well they definitely like my yard then because we don't have much grass so they don't have to dig too deep to get to probably any any ant yeah no not at all like they love to feed in like open bare ground areas they don't like tall grass or anything Mm -hmm. like that and they basically what they do is they look for like small or medium-sized ant hills um they don't like big ant hills it's possibly that they're like worried about being swarmed by ants but they love the small ones they love the medium-sized ones and they will literally just peck 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 at it and kind of uh you know peck out ants expose their tunnels also i saw an account i don't know how true this is it might be more anecdotal they have a long tongue like like most woodpeckers um they have a a long tongue they can extend out theirs they can extend out about 2.5 inches past their bill and I saw this thing where they said that they observed a northern flicker and it extended its tongue out and dropped it down onto an anthill um, so that it looked like a big pink worm. And then the ants began to swarm all over the tongue. And uh, they excrete saliva that coats their tongue that's really sticky. So the ants were like swarming it, getting stuck to it. And then the flicker just, you know, pulled its tongue back in and whoop, ate a bunch of ants. So it's the flicker's red rocket. <laughs> oh my god Uh, (laughs) i'll move on from that one Uh, their tongues like i said like a lot of woodpeckers are long and they're remarkable um they're so long in fact that they have to fold up inside the head uh they actually will split and come back together in the back of the head and then wrap around like behind the eyes and kind of go down into the base of the bill so when a northern flicker shoots its tongue out like it's like coming from like a coil way up in there goodness gracious it's like a fruit roll-up except times (laughs) eight (laughs) yeah fruit roll tongue fruit roll tongue Um, in wintertime, they have to adapt a little bit. Um, there's not as many bugs available. Maybe there's some snow on the ground. So they'll eat more fruit and seeds. Um, also, if there's um, no water available, they have been observed chipping away at ice and then eating little ice chips to get some water. That bill's useful. It is very useful. So that's pretty much their feeding. It's pretty simple. They love them ants. Like, yeah, go for the hills, man. <laughs> Bugs Life 4 coming to you. Wait, I don't even know how many there are, but Northern Flickers <laughs> coming coming into town. Wait, was there even a Bugs Life 2? No, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, I was about to say there was just the one. Oh, Flick is the name of the ant in it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what if Flick got eaten by a flicker? That Dang. would be ironic. Pitch yeah. it, pitch it to Pixar. Maybe we'll maybe yeah. we'll make some money. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Tej, um, I know you've observed these birds um, from your backyard. Have you ever heard them? No. Or maybe I have. I just didn't know it was them. 
Yeah. Um, so they have some pretty distinctive calls. I'll go ahead and, and, and play some for you here. Like their kind of most famous call is like, it's called like a laughing call. People also call it like a yucker call. Um, I find it really similar to the laughing call of the pileated woodpecker, but it's definitely distinct. I'll go ahead and play play them for you. Here's the uh, northern flicker one. So yeah, that's its yucker call. And then here, listen to how similar it is to the pileated woodpecker. And just one more time, let me play that flicker again. Sounded like the pileated was pileated was a little like higher in pitch, just a, just a notch. Yeah, yeah, and to me, it sounds like the pileated is like laughing a bit more. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes a little bit to you know. For a while, I was like, "Is that a flicker? Is that a pileated?" It was a little difficult to tell. Uh, more often, uh, I feel like I hear this contact call that they give. They give this call all the time, and it's pretty unmistakable. I like that one. So that's their contact call. You'll hear them give that when there's like two of them together. They just kind of are checking in with each other, Mm -hmm. um, giving that call. And they also give a wide variety of other calls, too. Sounds kind of friendly in a way. Yeah, it it does. They're like, sure. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. the 1933 National Geographic book, they mentioned like a Yarup call, a Clape call. During mating time, they especially get noisy and they do their famous Wicca call. But uh, those are kind of the main calls that you're going to hear from this bird and can really help you tell you that there's a flicker in the area and to look out for it. Uh, Get a sight of those nice golden underwings or red underwings. And even though this bird doesn't peck on trees to feed the way that other woodpeckers do, it does still drum on objects to declare its territory. So TJ, do you want to hear about how these guys breed? Oh yeah, man. That's what I'm here for. The real show. The real show. Well, all our ladies in the Dirty Bird podcast will love to know that the Northern Flicker actually has partially reversed sex roles for a bird. In general, the male does more of the child rearing um, and the female really doesn't have to worry about it too much. The male does more nest excavation. He does more incubation, which is sitting on the eggs. He does more brooding, which is sitting on the little chicks. And he does most of the feeding for the chicks, too. How do they feed them? Uh, Regurgitation. So, you know, they'll stick their bill kind of inside the, 
you know, little begging nestlings bill. And they said they kind of moved their bill up and down, and it looks like they're hammering the head of the nestling. Oh. Uh, and they call it, yeah, they called it alarming, but I guess that's just how they, like, throw up. When they throw up, they do that. <laughs> Uh, the courtship of these birds, um, Audubon described an account, John James Audubon, uh, where one or more males will pursue a female. Oh, a challenge. Yeah. They'll be vocalizing, they'll bow their heads, spread their tails, and move sideways on the branches to try to intimidate all, all the other males and then also show the female, you know, look how big and cool I am. Look how I can sidestep. There's also accounts of females trying to woo males though um i saw one account there were two females um uh, trying to woo this one male um it especially happens with experienced older males um especially when they already have a nesting cavity picked out um and the female will be like oh you know this guy knows what he's doing he's already got a house like i want this guy you know so she'll be working yeah let's make some babies but then some other bird is like "Mm mm-mm I had my eye on him first. When you say account, are you reading like people jotting down their observations? Yeah, mean? yeah. So these are like recorded observations um, by people or from like papers that I've read. Um, so a surprising amount of research goes into each episode. Um, I know it probably sounds like I just pull up my National Geographic book and read from it, but like I spend hours and hours reading obscure bird you know, articles that I can find. <laughs> People, um, the man's committed, all right? I'm committed. Um, buy some merch. Uh, <laughs> buy some merch. Get this um, guy a few few cases of Natty. Yeah, yeah. Send Natty to Dirty Bird Podcast, P.O. Box. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the display that they do, uh, the males and females kind of do a very similar one. Uh, it's termed uh, wicca dancing i mentioned that wicca call um it's also called fencing duels basically two rivals will face off to each other on a branch they'll point their bills to the sky bob their heads together in sync and begin drawing figure eight patterns as they emit the wicca call so it's like a weird coordinated like rival dance that they do Mm. um and they're kind of showing yeah, and they're showing how good they can flick that bill and draw with it in the air. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Check out my gold. Yeah, check out this gold. Or or red if they're in the West. We're on the East Coast here, man. Yeah, we're on the East Coast. We only care about the uh, yellow shafts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and these like spreading displays are really important because the coloration on the flicker's body um, is very important to signal how fit they are and also their age. I said how, you know, the females, they like an older male. Um, and most of the coloring on their body, like, really don't focus on that red and yellow that much. Actually, you should focus on the black spots. Um, and those are composed of melanin. Melanin is a, uh, a chemical that gives, like, darker hues. It's responsible for gray, black, brown in birds. You know, in human skin, it's responsible for, like, black and brown skin. And then, you know, us white people have no melanin. We're just boring. Um, it's derived from the amino acid tyrosine. Um, and so tyrosine is, like, it's, it can be a hard thing to get in your diet sometimes. So a bird that has a more robust diet, it's, you know, 
stronger, able to eat more, get at more food. It gets more tyrosine, and it'll make up more blacks and browns on its body. Um, the older they, they get, some... do they have more too? Like, is that how the, yeah. the female reads into... Yeah, yeah, so I'll talk about that. Um, uh, they have several prominent black patches on them. They have a black patch on their nape. They have a ta- black tail bar. Wait, what's the They nape? also have... Uh, the nape is the back of the neck. Okay. Like, yeah, kind of like right below their head. Got it. Um, they also have black spots on their chest. Yeah, they have little And dots. then there's... Yeah, and then there's that black mustache, you know, that the uh, that the yellow shafts have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the darker and more prominent these patches are, the higher melanin content they have. And it's seen that the older and larger a male or female is, the more melanin that they have in them, the darker they are. Interestingly, though, these colors seem to fade after three years of life. So, like, at three years, they're at their, like, peak, you know, darkness melanin content like they're the sought after ones um and this may be because three in these birds is actually kind of old um these birds as we'll talk about don't really live very long which is surprising for how large they are i also found a study where females that have darker bib colors the bib is like you know on the chest like how you wear a little baby bib and if they had wider blacker tail bands they laid more eggs and they also laid them earlier in the spring so in the females also like darker colors means that they're more reproductively fit cool the healthy ones are darker yep it's almost like you know someone having a bunch of tats to show like how strong and stuff they are i guess fluff them up show off their show off their steez yeah yeah (laughs) um and uh, these birds, uh, a lot of woodpeckers, you know, excavate their nests. You know, you see them pecking away and making a little nesting cavity for themselves. And while these guys will excavate their own nests, they're very weak excavators. They have that down curved bill. They don't have a nice chisel, you know, so it's a little tough for them. And so when they do excavate a nest, they'll have to choose like a diseased or like a soft tree to excavate. Apparently trembling aspens are a favorite of them. Uh, in the northern part of the U.S., you can find trembling aspens, and they are very prone to something called heart rot. It's a fungal disease that causes the center of tree trunks and branches to rot away and basically leaves just like a pre-existing hollow. So it makes it really easy for the flickers because all they got to do is just peck through that outer layer and voila, there's a you know nesting cavity. Thank you, fungus. So what you're saying is they like the soft wood. They like <laughs> yellow shafts <laughs> like soft wood. I'm trying. <laughs> See, this is here. what. No, that's TJ. This is why I have you. <laughs> oh, here for sideline commentary. That's trying to bring it back to the roots of this podcast, which is oh, for sure, man, for sure. <laughs> Um, they also are known to nest in, uh, nest boxes that people put up. So that's good news. You can help a flicker out, you know, if you put up a nest box. They will also reuse, um, old nest holes pretty frequently. Um, kind of as, I saw one statistic said as high as 63%. And that's really high. Like, a lot of birds will make a new nest or nesting cavity every single year. Um, but flickers, like, that's a lot of work for them with their little, you know, droopy bills. So... Um, they'll come back to the same nest um, 60% of the time. They ain't got time for that. 
Ain't got time nope. to make a bunch of nests. <laughs> and like they're even i'm not gonna call them lazy but they have so much trouble making nests that sometimes they'll even do crazy stuff like i saw an account where a flicker nested in an old belted kingfisher burrow belted kingfishers um uh check out my episode uh on belted kingfishers but they dig burrows in the banks of uh like riverbanks in the mud and like sand and stuff ah they ruin all their gold man <laughs> getting nasty yeah they get it all nasty and muddy um and also belted kingfishers are significantly smaller than flickers are so like uh, i don't know how the flickers do this but i don't know they decided they just wanted to live underground uh, rather than excavate their own nest like all these trees around here are too hard i can't can't get my droopy bill into nothing yep <laughs> let me just go underground yeah. i'm a troglodyte um i saw a interesting study where uh they were looking at airflow within nest cavities, um, and I had never really thought of this. They were, like, wondering, I guess, um, in the nest cavity if, like, CO2 levels are higher than outside, you know, if there's enough oxygen. And it looks like um, there's a lot of airflow, actually, within their nesting cavities. And what does that is the heat generated by the bodies of the flickers. Um, it creates, like, a convection, you know, similar like a convection oven, Um the hot air will go out of the hole and kind of pull rich oxygen air into the hole. And then uh, the hot air will pull the CO2 out. So they almost have their own ventilation system going on. Good AC, you know. Got to keep that thing flowing. Yep. <laughs> Typically, a female will lay 3 to 12 eggs. Um, she'll usually lay just one egg a day. And, 3 to 12, uh, I saw that's the... quite a range. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends, like, if she's, you know, well, we talked about how, you know, the darker their colors are, you know, the healthier they are, they lay more eggs, so maybe a very pale, you know, young flicker, she can only lay three eggs, but, you know, you got this tatted up flicker, she's got, you know, nice dark spots, and, uh, you know, yeah, she's three years old, she's in the prime of her life, and she's laying out 12 eggs. <laughs> their uh, clutch size increases with latitude uh, which is kind of cool so um, and also their clutch size is greater in inland areas compared to coastal areas um, and I never really heard of this before this is called Ashmole's hypothesis which states that birds that have to compete with migrants during the winter have lower access to resources and therefore have lower clutch sizes so like this kind of makes sense like if you're one of these flickers that lives like let's say in Virginia, you know, and you stay there year round, you have migrants from northern Canada in the winter time flying down to Virginia because you know they don't want to spend a winter in Canada. Who wants to? Um, and uh, um, so then they come in and they're competing with the flicker for food. But if you're a flicker up in Canada, well, hey, all these migrants just left, and now you know you have access to all this food. And so you're able to lay more eggs. Um, also, it may be related to, you know, since the winters are colder, they have to lay more eggs because more are going to die. Um, there's a lot of theories around it, but I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And like I said, uh, the male tends to take over a lot of the nestling duties. The female does help. They kind of take turns with brooding the eggs and the nestlings. However, if a female's mate dies, she'll just abandon the nest and leave. She's like, all right, 
I'm done. The guy's not here to help me. You know, this is too much work. I'm out. These female flickers, man, they, they're just a bunch of gold diggers. I do, yeah. They're just they're... falling around. You know, if yeah. you got that deep, deep, dark gold, then you're going you're gonna <laughs> to bring around some, some ladies. But yep. <laughs> as soon as that guy's gone, you said, I don't need these kids. Nope, nope. <laughs> I'm a strong, independent flicker. Uh, uh, the males, though, it's kind of sad. The males will continue to try and incubate if their female mate dies, uh, but they have a, only like a 50% success rate. Um, it's really hard for them. Why? Because the females go get the food and they can't, go get, they can't do both? Well, yeah, the male usually does most of the work anyway, but, like, I mean, it's just hard, you know, Single raising kids. In- man. Yeah, yeah, and usually in the bird world, I mean, the males usually don't do very much with taking care of the kids, Uh, you know, I mean, they'll help bring food and stuff, but, I mean, these guys are already, like, you know, reversing the sex roles, and so, you know, we can't expect them to be total experts on it. He just doesn't want to leave the nest, he's like, it's warm here, I'm gonna kick it with the kids, (laughs) drink my beer. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, it's just laziness. Just watching his TV. (laughs) Um... So sometimes these birds will do intra-specific um, brood parasitism. So this means that uh, like one flicker will go lay its eggs in another flicker's nest and just let that flicker lay its, uh, uh, you know, raise its young. Um, I saw a case from Britain, Michigan in 2003 where there's a flicker pair being observed um, in a nest box. Um, and uh, they were really confused because, you know, flickers, the female will lay one egg daily, but they kept noticing there were two eggs being added to the nest every day. So they were like, all right, something's wrong. There must be another female flicker coming and laying eggs. And at one point they were observing and they observed the regular female come lay an egg. And then they observed what they called the dumping female dumping as in it's like dumping its eggs off in this nest but i thought that was a funny term and when they observed this dumping female come back to the nest the uh female that had been there uh spread her tail feathers and and raised the feathers on her neck and started getting really aggressive and then she chased off the other dumping female studies have shown that up to 17 percent of northern flicker nests contain at least one egg that is you know parasitized that is laid by another flicker in there so they seem to do this a lot they don't like uh they can't make nests man they gotta find other nests yeah that's true maybe they're having a hard time finding soft wood so they're like whatever i'm gonna let these chumps raise my young those droopy beaks man you can dig in for some worms or ants but not for habitat uh, I also read that they can lay like a crazy amount of eggs um, sometimes. Like more than 12? So yeah, so from my handy dandy National Geographic, so <laughs> I guess a couple researchers that the National Geographic guys who wrote this were doing this thing where they would, um, every time a female flicker would lay an egg in her nest, they would pick it out. They would just take it out. And then the flicker would come back the next day and lay another egg. And they saw, and, you know, then they would just take the egg out. So they saw how long, you know, they would do this for. And in Greensboro, North Carolina, a bird laid 32 eggs in 35 days like this. And then also, um, this other guy, Charles L. Phillips, wrote that a female laid 71 eggs in 73 days like this. That's how we save the species right there. 
Yeah, I mean, what did they do with those eggs? Were they just, like, scrambling them up or, like... <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess these birds have a capacity if, like, you know, their clutch size doesn't, you know, reach whatever level they think is necessary, then they'll just keep laying and laying and laying. They'll keep going if they don't know what's up. Yep. So that's pretty remarkable. 71 eggs. Jeez. So I talked about how these guys kind of flip the script on normal gender roles. Um, and they do that also in that the female will engage in something called polyandry. And this means that one female will have more than one male mate and uh, in a breeding season. Hey, we called it earlier. Yeah, we did. You're right. <laughs> so... Um, I, uh, I saw um, uh, sometimes they'll have two mates and they'll both contribute to one nest. Um, they'll also have two male mates and two separate nests and the female will lay eggs in one and then also lay eggs in the other and, you know, let those men take care of the young pretty much, you know. <laughs> these, these girls just like to party. Dude, these, yeah, flicker chicks party hard. That is for sure. And it tends to be older females that do this. Um, younger females are almost entirely monogamous. You know, they gotta, they gotta get their feet wet, their beaks Yeah, wet. they gotta learn how to handle one male flicker before they're able to take on two, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's only about 5% of flickers that do this each year, but it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, polyandry is pretty rare in the bird world. Usually, like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of male birds that sleep around, but it's rare that you find, like, a female bird that is like, yep, I got two mates. I'm queen bird over here. Hmm. Birds keep it pretty low key. They stick to their solos. Most of them do, yep. Um, I found an account in British Columbia, Canada, where there was a pair of flickers that attempted to raise a second brood um, while they were still raising nestlings from their first brood. Um, this didn't work out. They ended up having to abandon that second brood. So usually they'll only do like one brood in a season. But if they're farther south um, where, you know, it's warmer, longer year round, then they might be able to do two broods in a year. Nice. Whatever strategy they choose for making babies, though, um, once these guys lay the eggs, um, the parents must incubate them in order to keep them warm. Well, usually just the dad, right? Uh, it's mostly the dad, but the female does it too. Okay. They, they'll take turns. And they do that for about 12 days before the eggs hatch. When these nestlings hatch, they're naked, pink, and blind. Um, and this is pretty cool. To help them hatch, they have something called an egg tooth. Many birds and reptiles have this adaptation. It helps them break through the tough eggshell. Um, it's basically like a little spike that they have um, on their beaks. In flickers, though, it also serves another function. Most species, once they break through their egg, the egg tooth is no longer needed and it just falls off. But in northern flickers, they keep it until shortly before they fledge. Any idea why they do this, Teach? Drawing a blank, man. Sorry. What if I told you that their egg tooth is really, like, white and good at reflecting light? Hmm. Attract some ants. <laughs> Ant bait. Ant um, bait. <laughs> no, actually, um, it's thought that uh, this highly reflective egg tooth that's kind of, like, right by their mouth, you know, um, it helps the adults feed their young in the darkness of their nesting cavity. 
So like similar how like when you're driving at night, you know, there's those reflective markers on the side of the road to help you drive. It's kind of the same thing with these guys because remember, they have to put their bill like inside the bill of their nestling. So it's kind of like, you know, precise operation there. So they look for the egg tooth and that helps them see where to, you know, guide their bill in. Nice. Uh, at around 17 days, the nestlings uh, have developed strong enough legs and feet that they can start to cling to the side of their nesting cavity rather than just, you know, hang out on the grimy, dirty bottom of their soft wood hole. <laughs> and 10 days after that, at 27 days, nestlings are fully fledged and they're ready to leave the nest. Um, once they're old enough to go out on their own, um, fledglings uh, leave their home, uh, their home range that they were born in. Only about 2 to 3% stay in the area that they were born. So I might have lied to you earlier, TJ, when I told you that, um, you know, that you might see the youngsters of that pair that you observed in your backyard coming back. They're out of here. Yeah, probably. But who knows? They might be part of that 2 to 3%. Um, they do have some significant predators um, and a lot of stuff that likes to prey on them. Oh, no. They have a really low annual survival rate. I said how three is like kind of old for a flicker. I guess hanging out on the ground makes them prime targets. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, compared to other woodpeckers, it's, it's, they have a very low survival rate. Like only about 40% survive a year. Dang. Well, who hunts them? Well, um, in Wyoming, northern flickers make up 34% of the diet of northern goshawks. So a lot of it is birds of prey. So what other what other birds? Uh, hawks, you know, Cooper's hawks probably love them. Mm. Uh, they're probably a little bit too big for falcons, but I don't know. Um, in my barred owl episode, I talk about how um, flickers are pretty much like the largest thing that a barred owl will take down. Um, and they're basically like the same size as barred owls are. So a lot of stuff likes to go after them. Well, shoot, I been seeing a hawk in my backyard a massive one uh -oh. so i'm like me my flickers shoot they were just kicking Maybe. it these, these fat flickers are just kicking out my dirt <laughs> getting fat off ants and yeah. uh this hawk oh, just no. comes through and probably ruined their life i'm sorry to that's sad <laughs> side note avit was out there one time and it just like it flew in and swooped in and like checked Avid out. Avid's my dog, by the way. Dirty bird listeners. <laughs> this little pit boxer. And he, he's out there and it like swoops in and like ch like flaps its wings and checks him out. And Avid like tries to jump up and get him. It was so bizarre. It was like, I, oh my God. I was like, this, this, this bird's pushing the limits. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was a while ago, though, but I've seen it a couple times in the trees, and so yep. I hope that it didn't just have a nice meal with my flickers. Uh, yeah, hope not. I mean, good for the hawk, but yeah, bad for the flickers. Yep. Um, they also get uh, have a hard time with their nesting cavities, too. I mean, lots of stuff likes to eat um, woodpecker nestlings and other cavity nesters. You know, raccoons, possums will crawl up there, snakes will... Um, starlings also, we said earlier, fuck starlings, invasive species. And although they're smaller than flickers, they're very aggressive and they've been observed, um, evicting flickers from their nests. They like routinely do this. Like they have a mission. 
they seem to prefer freshly excavated flicker cavities. So like they'll almost wait for the flicker to finish doing its nest, making its home, and then they'll come in and just kick them out. Home wreckers. Yeah, dude, they're dicks. Total dicks. An interesting parasite um, that preys on these guys, it's called Carnus hemapteris. Um, it's a blood-sucking fly. It's a very common ectoparasite of nestling birds. It kind of has a weird life cycle. It, um, it's larval phase. It like hangs out within like dead matter and nesting cavities. And sometimes it enters a state of hibernation for like one to three years. And then when conditions are right, it grows wings. It flies off. It looks for a little baby nestling to feast on, lands on it, and sheds its wings and just becomes a little blood-sucking thing. Um, and they can have pretty high burdens of these guys. So um, that definitely, you know, makes the fitness worse for the nestlings. Mm. The oldest northern flicker um, ever found was a yellow shafted in Florida that was nine years old. I mean, this must have been the freaking like great granddaddy flicker because uh, that's crazy old. Um, I found this other study where they would capture flickers over a six-year period. Um, and when they did that, they found that only 0.6% of these birds survived to seven years of age. Oof. Big Dad yeah. had, some, had some ladies around him keeping him up. Dude, yeah, that nine-year-old yellow shafted, I mean, holy cow, he, like, had, like, 0.00-something percent of getting that old. That's insane. Goodness. And I guess he shows that it's, like, not really, like, they're not, like, dying of heart attacks, you know? It's, like, it's predation that's killing these guys. Like, they could live longer, it's just they get killed so oh, easily. Oh, so they just get lucky. Yeah, he must have just been really good at avoiding hawks and stuff. Probably a good feeding spot. He's like, hawks don't come here. We're good. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they, they are pretty cautious when they feed. They try to feed in open areas where there's like some woods to flee by nearby, you know. Um, so they definitely try to survive, but ugh, I guess it's tough. <laughs> so, Tej, I want to go into their evolution, all right? Let's do it. So let me tell you how these guys evolved. So I won't go into describing the evolution of woodpeckers in general because I kind of talk about that in my, I think my very first episode, Big Peckers on the Pileated Woodpecker. But basically woodpeckers um, first evolved as part of the Afro-Aves um, radiation, basically when the big continent of Gondwana broke up about 180 million years ago. There were like two major radiations of birds um, and uh this one that later went on to form woodpeckers um, first evolved kind of in the Africa region. But for these northern flickers, their genus Coloptes is a very fluid genus. Um, there's like species being added and subtracted constantly uh, with new genetic evidence. Currently, their genus contains about 14 species, um, one of which, unfortunately, the Bermuda flicker is extinct. The um, vast majority of Coloptes species reside in Central and South America. Only two species, the Northern Flicker and Fernadinus Flicker, are in North America. Additionally, Coloptes has a sister genus, um, Piculus, and they're only in South America and Central America. So usually, just evolutionary-wise, when um, you see that like there's the highest diversity of a species in an area, it means that's probably like where it started you know there's just like 
it's probably been there for longer, and so then it's become many different species. Uh, mitochondrial analysis, though, suggests that Fernadina's flicker um, and the northern flicker are actually the most basal members of Coloptis. So, like, they're the ones that, like, first formed in this whole flicker family. Um, and then the ones in South America, Central America, came later. They're the OG flickers, if you will. Mm. One paper I read um, said that the Fernadina flicker came first, but um, I like to use this tool called One Zoom Tree of Life. It kind of gives an evolutionary history for birds. One Zoom Tree of Life has the northern flicker forming about 5.57 million years ago, and Fernadina's forming about 4.9 million years ago. Um, this makes sense to me because Fernadina's flicker is found only in Cuba. So it kind of makes sense that like this Cuban island species, like first something formed on the mainland of North America and then flew over to Cuba, you know, um, that just kind of makes more sense than to me. Unfortunately, this Cubano bird is at high risk of going extinct. There's only 600 to 800 of them remaining. Woof. It's a low count. Yeah. I know. Come on, Fernadina's flicker. You can do it. Hang in there. Um, so where did the flickers come from? So around 3.6 million years ago is when the Isthmus of Panama formed, and this allowed a flow of animals and plants from North America to South America and vice versa. Um, it's also um, when we see huge diversifications within the Coloptes and many South and Central American flicker species that we know today. It pairs up with that 3.6 million years ago. Um, so probably what happened with uh, these flicker species is, you know, woodpeckers first evolved in Africa, spread throughout the world. Um, the flicker ancestors likely came over um, kind of that Bering Strait, um, the way that the pileated woodpecker ancestors did, and formed in North America first. And then when the Isthmus of Panama opened, they made it down into South America and they just like, you know, exploded, um, forming all these different species. So, so that's kind of a rough overall evolutionary history on these guys. Um, that's the best I could get from the resources that were available. Um, there was a paper that probably described it a little better, but they were trying to charge me like 50 bucks for the paper. And I am just a poor medical student who makes a podcast, so I did not buy it. But that's, a, that's the best I could give you guys. Um, there are um, some subspecies of the northern flicker. There's lots of debate about these subspecies. At one point, the yellow shafted and red shafted were even regarded as two different species. Um, and in my National Geographic book from 1933, they're listed as two different species. Like gangs, East Coast, West Coast, Biggie and Pac. Yeah, East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> west coast ones are red they're like the bloods but i don't know what the yellow yellow ones would be uh there and there's lots of subspecies and like i said lots of debate but for our purposes i'll just point out four large groups of flickers the yellow shafted in the eastern u.s the red shafted of the western u.s there's island populations on cuba and the cayman islands that are pretty unique and then there's also an isolated population in the highlands of central america there also used to be a subspecies on the island of Guadalupe, but like many of the subspecies on that island, it's now extinct. 
the uh, red shafted and the yellow shafted will hybridize together. There's actually like a hybridization zone, and it was kind of first recorded by Audubon in 1843. He was actually in the area that is now Yellowstone, um, and he came across these northern flickers that were mixtures of yellow and red, kind of had like a more orange color to them. He called them the Missouri Red Mustache Woodpecker and thought that they were a species of their own. To sum it up, the hybrid zone extends from the Texas Panhandle up uh, north to the Black Hills of South Dakota. Um, and in their hybrid zone, flickers seem to not really care what color the other flicker shafts are. Like, they don't care if a red one comes across a yellow one. Like, they don't really especially dislike it. You know, they'll, they're opposite sex. They'll mate with it. Like, really, they don't seem to, even though, like, we see a very striking color difference between these guys, they seem to really not care that much. The bright yellow on the underside of the yellow shafted flickers, it comes from three carotenoid pigments that they have, lutein, zeaxanthin, and beta-cryptoxanthin. Um, these pigments are absorbed directly from their diet, and then they just deposit them right in their feathers, and, you know, they um, reflect yellow light. But to get the red color, red shafted flickers have to oxygenate their yellow pigments and turn them into red ones. They produce astaxanthin, canthaxanthin, among many other ones. And uh, these pigments pop up in a lot of red birds. I talk about them in my spoonbill episode, my cardinal episode. Um, they're basically, you know, what forms red in birds. There's also a more coppery shafted woodpecker that's found on the East Coast. And at first, they thought that the hybrid range was expanding when they saw this, but then when they did chemical analysis, it contained a chemical called rhodoxanthin, which is like not a compound found in, you know, organic nature normally in North America. And that's because it's from the evasive Tartarian and Moro's honeysuckle. Um, these were introduced from Asia in the 1700s. Um, basically, they have a pigment in them that's more orange than red. And so it gets deposited into birds' feathers and it forms orange where red should be. Um, also, red-shafted northern flickers that were captive and fed ground carrots developed orange feathers. Really depends on what you eat. Yeah, it's you are what you eat. So um, that's probably more about bird coloration than you wanted to know, but... Um, there you go. You gotta know where it comes from, man. Us painters, we gotta we gotta get the color right. So, history helps. Yep, for sure. Um, uh, and uh, I'm gonna wrap up this episode um, soon here, but I just wanted to talk about what Audubon has to say about flickers, and also um, some stories about flickers with their interactions with people. Um, Audubon calls the yellow shafted uh, northern flicker, he calls it the golden winged woodpecker, which I, I really like that name. Yeah. Um, he compares its call to a prolonged and jovial laugh. So, and he really talks about these birds being full of joy. He also notes that even in confinement, it never suffers its naturally lively spirit to droop, and by ways of amusement will continue to destroy as much furniture in a day as can be mended by a different kind of worksman in two. So, you know, he, like, took him into his house, I guess, to confine them, and then they destroyed his furniture. That's what um, he gets. Yeah, that's what he gets. Um, he does note that it is shot and eaten often by sportsmen of the middle districts. 
um, and is sold in markets in New York and Philadelphia. But Audubon wrote that he finds the flesh very disagreeable and having a strong flavor of ants. <laughs> How do you know what ants taste like, dude? He's over there eating an ant, and then he's eating a piece of pileated, or not pileated, flicker. And then he's like, flicker. Tastes the same. Yep. He definitely ate pileated, too. I, I definitely talk about that in my pileated episode. Audubon pretty much like skins, eats, and draws every bird he comes across. <laughs> Doesn't let him go to waste, I guess. Yeah. Um, so stories of the flicker and, uh, you know, uh, especially how Native Americans interacted with it. Up in the southern Yukon, um, Al- alpine snow is melting more and more now with temperatures rising. And uh, they have found um, artifacts, um, you know, frozen in, that were frozen and preserved in the permafrost. Um, and especially they found like um, arrow shafts. Um, and one that they found had a northern flicker feather embedded in birch wood alongside other feathers from eagles and owls that dated back to around 6,500 years ago. Um, it's thought that these eagle owl feathers were used for the fletching of the arrow, um, but the flicker feather wasn't really like designed in a way that like would make a good arrow fletching. They thought it was probably used more for decoration or to like mark the arrow like for this individual. Like, you know, I'm the flicker arrow dude, you know, don't touch my arrows. Maybe represent like a, a group, like an entire group or hunters used the yeah that's true that whole group could have you know put flicker feathers in there for some some reason this is our this is our crew um i did find some anthropological evidence um, that suggested that the uh lilouette people from british columbia actually prefer to use feathers from red shafted flickers on their arrows so there definitely were some people doing that um, also, flicker feathers have been used in ceremonial fans and masks by indigenous people of North America for centuries. Um, the Tlingit people of the Pacific Northwest still um, make a lot of um, fans and masks using flicker feathers. In the Cherokee language, flicker is called yellowhammer. Um, and it's also called gada, which means white dirt. Can you guess at all why it's called white dirt? Yeah, no. Uh, I'll put you on the spot dirt. a lot. I don't know. I'm thinking about how they get in that dirty nest. That was actually the kingfisher's nest, but that's the only thing that came to mind, and that's definitely not what they're thinking. No, it's actually from that white rump we talked about. So they would often observe the uh, northern flicker on the ground, digging in the soil and showing off its white rump. It's so that booty. Yep, that booty. Um <laughs> And finally, I'll end this podcast with a story by the Lenape people. This is my favorite part of your podcast. Is the stories at the end? Is the stories. This is my favorite. That's what keeps people listening, man. Yeah. (laughs) At least I hope. I'm I'm fine if people want to skip to the end and just listen to the stories. That's fine with me. Um, All right. So the Lenape people. Um, They're sometimes also called the Delaware people. Uh, They were an extensive group uh, of Native Americans that historically inhabited present-day states of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. And interestingly, they were a matriarchal society, so that's pretty cool. But here's a story that they have that involves the flicker. Long ago, the sugar maple tree was suffering from intense itching from grubs burrowing in its bark. The itching was torturous, and finally, unable to bear it anymore, he cried out to the squirrels, porcupines, and beavers to help. But they were much too busy getting food for themselves and could not help him. 
He then cried out to the birds, and while they took pity on him, none of them could help either. Then Papa Kies, the red-headed woodpecker, heard the sugar maple's cries and offered help. He brought his cousins to help, Titas, the downy woodpecker, and Ulikwan, the flicker. They quickly gobbled up every grub on the tree, and the itching stopped. The tree was grateful to the woodpecker, and in turn, they were happy for the meal. Some years later, the red-headed woodpecker was in distress. There was a terrible drought, and he was dying of thirst. Close to death, he went back to the sugar maple and asked for help. Remembering how the woodpeckers had helped him, Sugar Maple said, Fly down to my trunk and drill some holes. They will fill up with sap. The red-headed woodpecker did as he was told, and sure enough, the holes filled up with sap that slacked his thirst. And woodpeckers have been drilling holes in Sugar Maples ever since. And this is also how the Nanape people learned how to tap trees for their sap and make maple syrup. Yum. Yum. Yeah, so the flicker is just a tiny little part in that, but that's really the only story I could find featuring him. Um, and, you know, he eats some bugs, which he definitely loves. Well, we should write our own short story about flickers. Dude, I'm down. That's the only one that down. Uh, I feel like every single bird you've talked about has like a cool um, Native, American, Native American story or something. And this one doesn't. So prime opportunity. Yep, let's write some some of our own folklore, flicker folklore. Yeah, it's, you can start. You can do a little illustrated comic with your two guys. Yeah, in the we could uh, sell like a children's book with it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> or our Bugs Life uh, two idea. <laughs> Flick in the flicker. Flick in the flicker. It doesn't end well. <laughs> Well, Teej, um, do you have any closing remarks about flickers or anything like that? Um, you know, keep the hawks away, you know, protect your flickers. I mean, hawks are cool and all, but, you know, flickers, they got that flash, they got that sparkle. Uh, and, yep. uh, yeah, every time you, every time you see one, just note how special it is and they're a little flash of, flash of hope, flash of, flash they of are. love. I like that, man. I'm going to think about that every time I see him now. Cool. Well, thanks, TJ, for talking with me. It's been fun. Thanks for having and me on, John. This was fun. Yeah, of course, dude. I have to have you back on. You you got some good, uh, good dirty comments. I don't there. know about that, but <laughs> trying to keep it light and, and stupid. Well, as always, stay dirty, fellow birdies. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John, with our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Our intro music is by Ricky Pistone, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. And also, check out our theme song music video on YouTube. Our cover art is done by my beautiful fiancé, Lauren. Thanks for listening. Send any listener mail to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.
Ain't 